we are going to get into John. We're going to turn to John 6, because that's where we are. This is one of the events that John specifically uh, draws from the life of Jesus and records in his gospel account. So let me read it with you. It says here, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, It was named after a Roman governor. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside, sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip asked him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed it and to all who were seated, and they all ate as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And then the story sort of continues, and we're going to pick up later on in the message about that. This uh, story, apart from the resurrection, is the only story to be recorded in all four gospel accounts. In Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9. So it's somewhat of a significant miracle, you could say. The last uh, eight days or so, I was away on holiday. Uh, You can probably tell from my skin color has changed. (laughs) Uh, A few shades darker. Um, And uh, me and my wife, we we haven't been away on holiday for a couple of years, so we decided, you know what, we're going to do it. We looked at all these sort of package holiday deals and that sort of thing, and we thought, ah, it's... I'm not really interested in a package holiday deal. They sort of lock you into one place, and if you're not necessarily happy with it, you don't know what it's going to look like beforehand, so if you get there and you're like, oh, this is awful, then there's not really anything you can really do about it. So we decided to do something which was different. We just went off-grid, and we didn't book any places to stay. We took out uh, my parents' car, and we just drove to the ferry, got on the ferry, crossed over into France, and there's an area of France which I have never explored before. And uh, my wife has not really spent any time in France before, so even though she's English, bizarrely so. So this was an opportunity for her to sort of explore a part of France. And so we drove from Calais all the way down to Biarritz, which is about an eight-hour drive from Calais, thereabouts. And um, Biarritz is one of those places that, that I had in the back of my mind for so long. And I have never visited until I got there. I was like, I can't believe I've never been here before because this is amazing because I used to do a bit of surfing and stuff when I was in New Zealand and it just appealed to me so much and I was like this is amazing how could I 
but I've never been here. And then someone told me to go to Hosega, which was just up the coast. And so I went to Hosega, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is here as well. And then I walked up the beach, and I found this little beach bar, on amazing beach bar, and we sat there, and we had nice tapas and that sort of thing. Then someone told us to go down to San Sebastian. So we went down to San Sebastian, and my mind was blown with the food and all of that. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe there's all this stuff here in the south of France. This is amazing. Have you ever experienced a moment in your own life where, where the curtain has been drawn, so to speak, and you've gone, there is more. There's more than just, than just what I'm seeing right now. Okay, for example, have you ever been to like a restaurant, a buffet restaurant, and, and, and you found a little section of the buffet, and you've taken the section from the buffet and you filled yourself, and then at the end of the meal, you're already full, you realize that there was a whole bunch more buffet that looks way more amazing than the stuff that you had, and you realize, oh my God, there's, there's more. Or at the end of a movie, when the credits come up and you think, oh, that's it, but then all the behind the scenes sort of start to play out, and you're like, oh, there's more, that's amazing. Or you go to a show and the show finishes, but then there's an encore and there's more and there's more. Have you ever had a moment in your own life where you've actually discovered the light bulb's gone on, the curtain's been drawn, where you've discovered there's more than just this? Have you ever had that before? If you've ever experienced that in anything in life, then I'm hoping today that you can connect with the feelings, the emotions of the people and of what Jesus was trying to show the people, that there is more. Put yourself in the story for just a moment. Jesus is doing signs and wonders. He is already into his ministry. He's walking around the Judean countryside, around the, the Sea of Galilee, and uh, there is this huge crowd that is following him. The Bible calls it 5,000 men, but scholars believe, you know, they, they counted just the men in those days. So scholars believe there was some sort of uh, a larger number, potentially 15, 20, 25,000 people, a crowd of that many, walking and following Jesus throughout the countryside. Many scholars actually believe that this was the largest crowd at any one time that was following Jesus, larger than the crowd at the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus situates himself on a hill and uses it as a natural pulpit and begins to teach the people. Now, the service kind of drags on a little bit. You know, his disciples are kind of in the side there, and they're thinking, okay, this is, this is going to be a one-and-a-half-hour service, two-hour service. You know, how long is a sermon? It's normally half an hour, maybe an hour if you're really, 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 really good, and you can hold people's attention, um, but no longer than that. Anyway, an hour goes past, two hours go past, three hours go past, and the sermon's really starting to drag on, and the disciples are starting to get a little hungry. And they're thinking, Jesus, when are you going to wrap this thing up so we can go and get some food? Okay, the sermon drags on, it goes on, it goes on, and it goes on. Until, the Bible says, in the other accounts, that until the day was almost finished, he taught into the evening. In other accounts, I think in Mark, it says, it was too late to send the people home. And so I can imagine Jesus' disciples in the corner starting to plot creating a bit of a constituency saying, you know what, we need to go and tell this Jesus guy, we need to go tell our master to wrap this thing up. So can you imagine? They sent Andrew and Philip over to Jesus. They're saying, okay, excuse me, Jesus, um, this is really good. What you're doing here, it's amazing. You know, the people, they're loving it. But do you think you can just like wrap this thing up in a minute? And Jesus is like, okay. And they're like, because the, the people are hungry. 
that, that, that they're the really hungry Jesus. And he said, well, you give them something to eat. Andrew and Philip, they walk back to their, their little group of disciples and they say, look, this is what he said. He said, um, he said you feed them something. <laughs> and the disciples are like, okay, what are we going to do? And so Simon Peter, he goes and grabs a little boy's lunchbox and he says, okay, let's give him this and let's show him that's all we got almost as a joke. And so they take the little lunchbox and they give it to Jesus and they show him and they say, well, Jesus, this is, this is all, all the food that's around. And he says, okay, well, give it to me. And so they give it to Jesus. As with the story goes, he blesses it and he gives it to the disciples. He prays for it, gives it to the disciples and he says, okay, sit them in rows of 50, rows of 100. Now, have you ever worked with people before? Um, because it's really hard to um, organize even groups of 10s, groups of 20s, groups of 50s. But we're talking about 25,000 people here. And these 12 disciples have got to go and organize them in groups of 50, 100. It's would have taken some time. They go out and do this, and they're thinking, what is Jesus doing? What is he on about? So they go and do it anyway. They take this little boy's lunchbox give it to Jesus, Jesus blesses it, gives it back to them. They take it, and Jesus says, okay, now I want you to go and give out this food to the people. Can you imagine <laughs> what the disciples must have been thinking in that moment? Are you crazy, Jesus? What's going on? I've just got this tiny little, like, loaf of bread. It's not going to feed all these people. And so anyway, I guess they obey what Jesus says, and they, they go to the first person on the road, and they say, you can have just a little bit. <laughs> The second person, a little bit more, a <laughs> little bit more, a little bit more. Okay, there you go. It's got to go around everybody, remember? And then at the end of the row, the food grows. And they get excited and they go down the next row and they give them more, give them more, give them more, give them more, give them more. And, and then the food grows again. And the food doesn't seem to end, which is an amazing thing. And I want you to note this about this particular event is that the miracle itself did not happen in the hands of Jesus, but the miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. That's an interesting note, isn't it? The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. This is how God works with you and I. Whenever God has a plan, he always uses a man or a woman, <laughs> and that man or that woman is you. Consider Jonah. Remember, we've been studying the book of Jonah. He sent Jonah to the Ninevites to preach a word, and he did so eventually, and the Ninevites responded in repentance and uh, all turned over to God. The miracle was in Jonah's mouth when he opened up his mouth. Think about the apostles in the book of Acts when Jesus said, all authority I have given to you. You cast out demons. You heal the sick. The miracle is often in our hand. It was in the hands of the disciples. The question is, what is in your hand? And I wonder if you would just consider that question today. What is in your hand today? Because whose hand it's in matters. Let me put it like this. If I take a golf club in my hands, I'm going to be a very average golfer with it, but take a golf club and put it into the hands of Tiger Woods, and you have arguably one of the greatest golfers of all time. Take a credit card and put it in my hands, it's going to be a pretty safe place. Take that same credit card, put it in my wife's hands, it's a dangerous place. 
take a rod and put it in my hands and it's going to be pretty useless, but take a rod and put it in the hands of Moses and it'll part the Red Sea. Take a sling, put it in my hands and be a silly toy for a little while, but take a sling and put it in David's hands and it'll slay the giant Goliath. Take five loaves and two fish in my hands and it's nothing more than a couple of fish finger sarnies. Take five loaves, two fish, put it in the hands of Jesus and it's blessed, it's miraculous. What's in your hand today? What's in your hand? The model that Jesus shows us in this event is that the disciples found something in their hand, the five loaves, the two fish, and they, they took that which was in their hand and they put it into the hands of Jesus. Jesus blessed it. He put it back into the hands of the apostles and the apostles handed out all the fish and all the loaves and it was miraculous because it was blessed because it had been in the hands of Jesus. What's in your hand today? Does a pursuit come to mind? Does a passion come to mind? Does a relationship come to mind? Does finances come to mind? Career, a job, whatever it may be, we've all got different things in our hands. The challenge that maybe I have for all of us today is to, to take that which is in our hands and to place it into the hands of Jesus in order that it might be blessed. Do you want the work of your hands to be blessed today? Come on, do you want it to be blessed? Do you want the abundance of God? I love how the fact that it was not just enough food, right? But it was more than enough. The disciples, they got together 12 basketfuls of food at the very end, which was kind of like a doggy bag for each of them to take home. It was not just enough, it was more than enough. And this seems to be a running theme throughout the Gospel of John, the abundance of God. Philip had talked about it with the water and the wine. There is an abundance of God that he has on offer for you and I today. He just doesn't have enough for you. He has more than enough for you. There is an abundance of blessing that he is wanting to pour out on you today. Listen to how Paul puts it. He says this, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Or in Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, imagine, or hope according to his power that is at work within us. Do you believe that God has an abundance on offer for you today? He wants to bless the work of your hands. But it takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith for us to engage in the blessing of God. It takes faith for us to engage in the abundance of God and what God has on offer for us, which is to say that your hand and your heart are connected. King Solomon wrote in an ancient proverb, um, guard your heart, for out of it flow all of the issues of life. Okay, this is to say that that what is in your hand is, is ultimately connected to your heart. Your hand is connected with your heart. After the miracle happened, um, it's interesting because 
The people wanted to make Jesus their king by force. They were like, you are the one. Okay, we think you're the guy. You can, you're doing miraculous stuff. We want you to be king. Jesus realized it wasn't his time. He withdrew with his disciples. And that night, uh, his disciples went out on the lake of Galilee. Jesus uh, stayed on a little bit, and then he walked out on water um, to meet his disciples in the boat. They crossed to the other side of the lake. And then the next day, as they were on the other side of the lake, the people, the 20, 25,000 people who were still on the same side of the lake realized what had happened. They realized that Jesus and his disciples had ventured to the other side, so they went looking for him. They managed to get on boats and cross the lake. They eventually found Jesus, and they're like, where did you go? We've been looking for you everywhere. And by the way, we saw what your disciples did. We want to do the works of God too. So they ask him this question, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus responds to them by saying, the work God requires is this, to believe in the one he has sent. What? <laughs> Jesus has demonstrated a miracle through what was in the disciples' hands. The people saw it, but now they're coming to Jesus asking to do the same thing, it seems, and, and Jesus is not dealing with their hands, but rather he is dealing with their hearts. He says, you want to do the works God requires? Believe. Have faith in me. Jesus Oh, sorry, the, 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 the people then go on to say, um, what sign will you give us to show us that you are the one that God has sent? Moses gave us manna in the desert. And this is a, a great setup, a divine setup uh, for Jesus. He, he responds by saying, it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread in the desert. It was my Father in heaven, and he is now giving you the bread of life. In fact, it is I who am the bread of life. Of life. Anyone who comes to me will not go hungry, and anyone who believes in me will not thirst. Jesus has used this physical miracle to communicate a spiritual truth to these people. He's saying, I'm what you need. I don't just have more for what's in your hand, but I have more for what is in your heart. Sure, I filled your stomach, but now I'm interested in filling your soul. And in many ways, Jesus is sort of pointing to the manner in which he would die and offer up his life in, in, in this miracle and that he was lifted up, that he was broken, that his body was broken for our sin. He was the blessed one of God, and he has been distributed for each and every single one of us. He himself is the bread of life. But sometimes our heads get in the way of our hearts, don't they? And we can often, you know, make our own conclusions through disappointment in life. And we can say, well, things didn't work out for me. You know, I really believed there was more for me, but then this disappointment happened. And then, then, then this didn't work out for me. And then I had another disappointment. You know what? I, I don't know if I can really believe God anymore for his abundance, for his blessing in my life. Our heads often get in the way. We look at what's in our hands. Maybe the disciples did the same thing. They, they looked at what was in their hands and they saw the limitation of what was in their hands. 
And often we can do the same thing. We can look at the limitation of our own lives and we can say, ah, I don't have the resources. I don't have the finances. I don't have the connections. I, I don't have the ability, the talent, the skill. We can look at all of the limitations of what we don't have. God is asking, would you just take the small that you do have and put it into my hands? Because I want to bless it. And then as you, as you take hold of that thing again, and as you put your hand to it, it's going to yield the kind of fruit that you couldn't imagine. I really believe that this could be a word for many of us today. You know, the, those of us who have suffered disappointment in life, those of us who have suffered maybe a lack of faith when it comes to looking at our future and saying, man, God, do you really have more for me? Or is this just it? I believe that God will want to open, draw the curtain for many of us and say, look, you're eating only this much of the buffet when you've got all of this on offer. There's so much more for you. But will you believe me? Will you anchor your faith to me? And today I want to give us an opportunity to do that. I want to give us an opportunity for God to firstly deal with our hearts and stir up our faith again. For some of us to start believing that God, yeah, you got more for me. That this is, this is not it. You got more peace. You've got more joy. You've got more love. You've got more goodness. You've got more kindness. He wants to fill your heart with all of the things that he has on offer for you today. And not only that, he wants to also deal with what's in your hand. But in order to deal with what's in your hand, he firstly has to deal with what's in your heart.